Previously on Unpacked. We take off and then really quickly things started happening. The, the captain jumped in, levers were pulled and then we just immediately lost power. I remember the ground coming very close and I'm like, okay, cool, assume the brace position because here we go. The first officer did start responding at some point, but the last I saw of the captain, he wasn't responsive. Rudel Oosthuizen was in a plane crash and lived to tell the tale. This is part two of her story, Let's Unpack. Did they take you straight to surgery for anything or they were still kind of assessing you? Yeah, so they, was, they were assessing me at first. Um, they took me in for x-rays. They were worried about my arm. Mm. I was worried about my back. Um, and it ended up, that, that's when they saw the, the extent of my injuries in terms of my lower back. Mm. Um, so one of my vertebrae, which is L1, mm -hmm. the top of your lumbar parts of your spine, um, had imploded on itself. Mm -hmm. And another one, L3, lower down, um, had exploded. Mm. Um, so that's when they kind of realized, okay, something is wrong here. My arm was just heavily bruised, so it wasn't actually broken, which was mm -hmm. great considering. And they were also worried about my face because I'd actually cracked my cheekbones wow. um, from looking away on impact. Mm. So that's also why I have, I don't know if you can see the scars, but the scars in my eyebrow. Mm. And mm. my eye, what do they call it? It's an orbital fracture. But basically what happened is my eye had, the jelly had also kind of exploded inside it. Yeah, <laughs> gross. And my eye wasn't moving the way that eyes mm. are meant to move. It mm. was kind of like a chameleon eye at yes. that point. Yeah. So what was now the next course of action now that they know how serious your injuries are? Did they even tell you? I remember them speaking to me and I remember saying to them, can you please use English? Because <laughs> mm. whatever you just said doesn't make sense to me. And they were like, okay, you broke your back and you've broken your face on the side there. Mm. Um, and we're really worried about your eye specifically because of the way that the jelly of the eye had basically exploded. Um, but don't worry, we're gonna, we've got you and everything and we'll just have to take this sort of on a minute by minute basis. Mm. Um, because again, what I would find out later is when you go in for a planned surgery, mm. there's no trauma in your body or anything. So there's no swelling really. <laughs> but when you've been in an accident, they have to wait for the swelling to go down before mm. they can operate. But they also have a certain window because they don't want the bones to set as is. Yes. So things for them was very, like it was very tense for them. Mm. But um, I just remember saying to them, okay, what are you gonna do to fix me? Mm because I don't want to be here forever, so mm. let's get the ball rolling. But they had essentially wheeled me off to ICU and kept me um, under observation while they got in contact, obviously, with all the surgeons that mm. then would come in and out of my life for the next three weeks. Mm, mm, mm. And in that time of recovery, 
What are some of the things that are happening? Did you eventually go into surgery? Yes. So the timeline for me is weird um, because the ICU that I was in didn't have a window, so I couldn't really see when it was day or night. I remember at some point on the same day that I was wheeled into ICU, my mum and dad arrived. Mm. So they were flown down to Durban eventually. Mm. And they arrived at about 11 o'clock, I think. Mm. And yeah, my dad, that was actually another thing that tipped me off that I must look pretty bad. Yeah. Because they walked in kind of looking around, trying to find me, and my dad just, he made eye contact with me and then went <gasps> and walked away. Oh. And my mom kind of grabbed him, but that also, I was like, okay, maybe mm. this is a really terrible situation. Um, because that's the only thing you could see, was just my face. And yeah, so they came in, they left at some point. Um, and I think I went, my first surgery was my face, um, which was two components, the, the actual bone, Mm. of the cheek and then the eye part. Mm. So there were two different surgeons that came in for that. And uh, yeah, so that was probably about two days after I arrived. Mm. And then because of the way that they were going to um, operate on my back, I was going to lie on my stomach. So they needed the bones of my face to set enough. Before? Yes. Oh. But also... They couldn't wait too long because they didn't want the bones in my back to set the yeah. way that it is. So there was a bit touch and go. At this point, I was heavily under morphine or something. Mm. <laughs> so everything was fuzzy. <laughs> um, but eventually they also operated on my back. And from there, it really was, I felt a lot better. Mm. Um, I was moved to the regular ward probably about two days after my back um, surgery was a success. Um, shame. I had really amazing doctors during that time. Mm, mm. And, and the orthopedic surgeon is the standout. Mm. Yeah. At this point, what was your understanding of what had happened to the other passengers um, that were in the flight with you, or the, the captain and um, crew. the crew? Yeah. Um, so I heard that the first officer was lifted, airlifted to a different hospital um, because of uh, the way that the hospital staff, obviously they were very overwhelmed with me at the mm. beginning, so they couldn't bring her through straight away as well. Mm. So she ended up going to a different hospital. And um, from the sound of things, I remember that she had broken a hip bone, uh, a wrist, an ankle and her nose. And then later, after he had been removed from the plane with the jaws of life... The captain. The captain, yeah. yes. Um, he was airlifted to the same hospital as I was, and his injuries were very severe. Um, he had multiple broken ribs. He had lost a finger. He had smashed his face pretty badly. Um, and the reason for that was... I remember when we when he took over control in the plane, he removed his harness, mm. the top part of his harness. And I don't know why, but obviously that's then why he was he went completely into that panel and his injuries were just more severe as mm. a result. And did he make it? 
He ended up passing two weeks after mm. um, the accident. He never got out of ICU. Mm. My mom did go and visit him um, mm. at some point because every all of the, the family members kind of got to know each other yes. really well during that time. They all stayed in the same hotel mm. and all of that. Um, and she said that his skin started looking very yellow mm. and that indicates liver <coughs> failure and stuff mm. like that. And yeah, he did end up um, passing away while in ICU. Mm. And he was never conscious? Uh, <clears throat> not that I am aware of, no. Mm. Mm. I did have a weird hallucination <laughs> of him standing at the foot of my bed mm. about two hours before my mom came in to tell me that he had passed though, oh. yeah. And what, what was he saying to you in that vision or hallucination? Um, he didn't say anything, he just looked at me. <laughs> and I remember saying, it's okay. Everything's okay. Mm. Like you don't have to hold on for me if that's why you're holding on. Because mm. I was kind of getting broken reports of mm. how badly he was doing. Mm. So it was kind of strange when my mom came in a couple of hours later, which wasn't visiting hours. Um, I remember being surprised that she was there. I was like, no, it's fine. I told them that this is an emergency. Mm. He has passed away. Just wanted you to know. Yeah, so mm. it was a very strange hallucination. And how did you take those news, considering you, you, you were still dealing with your own recovery at this point? Um, I was sad. Mm. You know, even though I didn't know him very well, uh, you kind of feel like we're the only three people who were in that plane, you know. Mm. We're the only three people who knew what happened to each other. So to lose one of those people was mm. sad. Yeah. Yeah. Extremely sad. Yes. Um, in terms of now you're going through your own recovery, when do you, when do you eventually get discharged? But actually before then, <laughs> the first um, officer... Yes. What was her recovery like? So I was never in contact with her, with her being in mm, the a other different hospital. hospital. Yeah. And from what my mom told me as well, um, the family kind of kept to themselves a lot. Mm. But I, I remember her only being released from hospital in December of that year. Mm. like late November, December. So the, the crash happened in September, late September. Mm. I was released about mid-October, so mm. I expected, you know, her to also be released at mm. the same time, but it took longer for her. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so what was the remainder of your recovery like, you know, from the time you are discharged from the hospital? Um, so apparently the orthopedic surgeon was fully intending on letting me stay in hospital as long as possible because he wanted to make sure that I was okay. Um, so when I was moved to the regular ward, one of my frequent questions would be, when can I start walking again? Mm -hmm. And he was like, you just had back surgery, like calm mm -hmm. down, um, but I'll get the physio in to start helping you sit up maybe. Mm -hmm. And that was a conversation him and I had on a Thursday. Then on the Friday, this tiny, tiny woman came in and she's like, I'm your physiotherapist. And I remember thinking, and you need to lug around all of this. Like, mm. <laughs> um, but she's very strong. Always trust your physiotherapists. Um, 
And she helped me sit up. And I was like, cool, can I take a couple of steps? Mm. And she said, the doctor said not to do that yet. And I was like, okay, maybe we can try tomorrow. So we did on the Saturday. The doctor was off that weekend um, for the first time in about three weeks. And <laughs> so I started walking. I remember thinking, this used to be so easy before. Why am I getting winded from taking two steps? <laughs> um, but and I, it, it's crazy because if you think about it, you already mentioned your L1 and L3, yes. one imploding, one exploding. Yes. How was it even possible? Why was it even an option that you could walk? I suppose I'm hard-headed. Yeah. <laughs> I got you. I got yes. you. Yes. And then, I mean, what did they do in terms of the surgery? Did they put metal in there? What did yes. they do for, for those missing vertebrae now? So... Um, I was 20 at the time, and the, uh, the orthopedic surgeon said to me that um, he's going to the, do the minimum amount of surgery because mm. I'm still young so that my body can do the rest, mm. which I thought was quite um, liberal. Mm. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so they essentially, through T12, uh, next to T12, they put in two screws and then two pens to kind of circumvent L1, mm. and then they did the same for... Oh, three, yeah. Yeah. So I essentially have eight screws in my back. Mm -hmm. um, and that was just while he had kind of rebuilt as much of the vertebra themselves mm -hmm. that he could. The, the surgery took about eight, nine hours. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, so he said he could have done a lot more, but because of my youth and everything, he doesn't want to limit my movement too much mm -hmm. right off the bat. Um, so that was kind of a go-between. So while the vertebra themselves were healing, the, the pressure around the spine would go through these pegs that they had screwed yes, into my back. Yes. So you were able to take a few steps? Yes. Was it excruciating? It was... I had sweat pouring off of me. Um, no jokes. And I was kind of using, you know, that table, that wheel table that they yes. bring for your breakfast and things? Yes. Kind of using that as a walking ring. <laughs> um, uh, and I walked the length of the room and back and slept for about six hours after that. Mm. Um, then did a little bit more walking the, the following day so that I could take my first shower of about two weeks. Mm. <laughs> and there was still um, blood and things in my hair from some of the, yeah. Oh, wow. So finally felt clean as well. And the Monday when my doctor arrived back after his weekend off, he's like, okay, cool. How are you feeling? And I'm like, I'm feeling amazing. I started walking over the weekend. And he just kind of looked at me like, well, then I have no reason to keep you here anymore. Because if you can walk, then your road to recovery is much quicker. Mm. And I was discharged that Wednesday. Mm. Now, how did you get back to Joburg? Because all of this is happening in Durban. Yes. And you needed to travel back home, but you've just been in a plane crash. So I didn't try to travel back for um, a while. <laughs> what is a while? It was about five weeks that we stayed in Imams Mtoti. Mm. And that was the agreement with my surgeon. He said, okay, I will d discharge you if you promise not to go back to Joburg because mm. I don't want you to be overwhelmed. Because um, obviously most of my family is there, most of the mm. crew that I flew with are all there. So he wanted my recovery to be as 
my rehabilitation to be as um, stress-free as possible. Yes. And one of my friends at the time, they had a flat there. So we just made arrangements with the, the airline as well. I'm going to be staying here for a while while I recovered, um, which was actually kind of cool looking back on it, mm. um, being by the ocean and learning how to walk again without everybody looking at me, mm. you know, um, fiercely independent. So you don't want people to see you struggle when mm. you're that way. Um, yeah, so it took about five weeks and then I was flown back to Joburg. And did you even want to get on that plane? I mean, when I think about the trauma, potential PTSD yes. from that experience. I think my coping mechanism at that time was just, just do it and we'll deal with the rest later. Mm. Kind of like that thought I had with once we're on the ground, I'll then deal I'll deal with everything. Yeah. yeah. So I remember being very relieved that we were flying on a plane that didn't have propellers, <laughs> that we were actually flying mm. on a jet engine plane because one of the things and one of the reasons why we weren't able to keep the plane up was propeller planes, the way that you shut down engines and restart them, is a different process to a jet engine. Mm. If you cut the, the fuel going to a jet engine, you can just turn it back on again. Yes. It's kind of like the difference between analog and digital, I yes, suppose. Yes, yes. Um, so I remember going onto the plane and being like, okay, no, this is a proper plane. Mm. <laughs> so I'm, I'm not going to be afraid of that. Mm. We also had turbulence going into Joburg, of course. Um, and Did that give you anxiety? A little bit, yeah. I remember clinging to the armrests more mm. than I used to. Mm. Um, but it's such a short flight going from Durban to Joburg as well mm. that um, I, didn't, I don't think it was enough time for me to actually realize what I was doing. Mm. And by the time we landed, I was already being distracted again by, okay, cool, now we have to walk, not bump into anyone because I'm wearing a back brace. Mm. Um, and then I was taken home. So, through all of that, um, what did you then decide about work and returning? <laughs> so, the surgeon made it clear when I went for my six-month checkup, because he said rehabilitation is going to take six months, mm. um, that physical labor is really not on, on the cards for me. So, mm. you know, pulling trolleys and doing things like that isn't going to be um, the way forward. Mm. Um, which was sad, but at the same time, I felt like, how do you really go back mm. after having experienced what I did? So then I thought maybe I could go into training of cabin crew, you know, mm. as someone who's been through quite a horrific emergency situation, maybe mm. I could words of support and stuff and there were some talks of that but no nothing was ever really finalized mm. so eventually I just kind of resigned myself to okay it's going to be an office job so yes. let's start looking around for office jobs. So when um, you eventually made the decision and spoke to the airline what did they say and did they ever offer you any kind of compensation support anything along those lines? So they were talking a lot, but I wasn't getting anything written down. Mm. 
Um, in terms of compensation, they did cover all the medical expenses, but there was nothing in addition to that. And mm. that was due to the employment contract that I had signed with him, yeah. um, which is very unfortunate. But uh, yeah, so I wouldn't say that they were relieved when I resigned, mm. um, but I did get the sense that they didn't really know what to do with me. Yeah. Like, where was I actually going to go? Because I don't have enough experience to necessarily be a trainer mm. other than this thing that I've gone through. And I can't fly anymore. So yeah. what is there for me to do? Mm. Yeah. Mm. That's a tricky situation to be in. So where would you say, um, and, and we actually didn't touch on the man, the municipal worker that yes. was found. So what was that story and how did you find out that story? Um, so I learned about it the day after the accident in ICU. He had been uh, trimming hedges um, around the palisade fencing of the school when the plane sort of caught him by surprise mm. and he was clipped by the wing, it sounded like, mm. knocked over by the wing. And that's also where they found him. Mm. This was, I think, after they had got the first officer out is when they heard someone else calling out for help and he was kind of under the rubble of the, mm. the wing. Um, he also ended up being at our hospital. He had broken both his femurs, um, which is the upper part of your leg. And I actually remember him coming into ICU. He was in such a painful daze and he was just talking like rapid fire Zulu. Um, and everybody was trying to get him to calm down. Like he kept wanting to get out of his bed. Not realizing his legs are broken. Yes, which is his version of the shock that he had gone through, mm. obviously. And when they asked him about it, I still have one of his articles in my scrapbook that I put mm. together. Um, when they asked him, how did you not hear a plane? He said, the airport's right here. Makes I sense. work around the planes all day, every day. And he mm. thought it was just another plane that was maybe flying a bit lower. Mm. Um, but yeah, he did make a full recovery as far as I recall. Yeah. So where are you today, many years later from that accident, which, you know, still affects you emotionally? PTSD is a very strange beast because you would assume you would start getting night terrors and everything immediately after it happens, but sometimes it takes years. Hmm. So there are some days, I mean, most of the time, I don't see what happened to me as the defining quality of who I am. Hmm. It's just like a car accident, but different. Um, and for the most part, I'm pretty well adjusted, I think. But every once in a while, hmm. <laughs> it does hit you that, oh, there are these other aspects that I never considered, like what my mom must have felt at the time, hmm. or what my dad must have felt at the time when this was happening. So for the most part, I'm really great. Mm. I think I was very lucky um, because I would, you know, find out after, months after the accident that the doctors were worried that I was never going to walk again. Mm. And my mom just said to them, you're not going to say that to Radal because mm. she's going to internalize it and maybe then that will become a reality. So you just tell her that you're fixing her and then the sort of positive mind thing will mm. kick in, which did. Um, and 
yeah, every once in a while I struggle with my back, but as long as I exercise regularly, it's really not that big of a deal. Mm. I've been living with it for about 13 years now, so it's normal to me. Mm. And um, yeah, emotionally, I just get a little bit sort of, when everyone's getting ready for Friday, I'm like, mm. that's one way to look at it. <laughs> yeah. So usually around the 24th of September, I tend to take a bit of a dip. Mm. Mm -hmm. yeah. I think what you've been through is absolutely unbelievable, but you're here to share your story and that's the beauty of it all. Yes. Are you comfortable with flying at the moment? Yes. Okay. I went on my first propeller flight about three years ago when we were in Finland, of all places. Yes. Um, and I remember looking at this plane going, it wasn't the plane's fault. It wasn't the plane's fault. Not that anyone was at fault. Mm. Accidents happen. But planes are meant to fly. So as long as they are allowed to fly, then they will fly. Yes. And that kind of restored my faith in propeller planes as well. So now I'm basically okay. <laughs> mm -hmm. Thank you so much for sharing your story, for taking us through this very traumatic event. I really, really wish you continued healing for, for what you, you've been through. And it's actually not just you, like what you said, it's your family as well. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. It's yeah. awesome sharing my story. And of course, we think about the captain who lost his life yes. um, in that plane crash. And uh, we will take this opportunity to remember him. Yes, definitely. Hashtag unpacked with Rele Plane crashes are so rare, but when they do happen, so impactful, you get to think about the amazing coincidence of what was happening on that day, that the flight was empty, and that the school was empty as well. So we're so, so grateful that uh, only one life was lost. And of course, we remember the captain of that flight. Thank you so much for watching. Have a good night. Next time on Unpacked. Butterfly, butterfly. Ridiruruele. <laughs> ah, but that was when you guys were a group. <laughs> the way we were so close and we ended up being like a family. People looked at him. He didn't have any signs of anyone that, you know, mm. had cancer. Mm. And... You know, it hit me so hard. It's a pain that will never go away, you know. I'm still grieving them even today. for watching Unpacked with Rilip Khilemamoja. Make sure you subscribe to my channel where you can get to watch more episodes. But more importantly, you can be part of our online community. Comment down below, share with us who you'd like to see on the show, what story you'd like us to discuss. We love engaging with you. Keep it coming and don't forget to subscribe.